Welcome to the Driven Woman Podcast, where we're on a mission to empower women with the mindset, tools, and strategies so that they can lead powerfully and authentically in order to make a massive impact on this world. I'm your host, Sophia Bryan. Hi there, Driven Woman. My guest today is an attorney at law who runs a boutique legal consultancy called Imani Consult, and she specializes in labor relations, employment equity, and corporate governance. She's recognized as a dynamic, energetic, result-driven professional with over 10 years of experience in the legal industrial relations space. And now she's the head of department for employee relations at a major airways group in South Africa. She obtained her bachelor's at the renowned University of Western Cape, and she has qualifications from the Howard University, University of Cape Town, and Cape Peninsula University of Technology. She has extensive legal experience in South Africa and internationally through working with major corporations. Aside from her legal prowess, my guest is very passionate about youth development and serves as a board member and general manager for the award-winning Uh, Forgive me, darling, but I still haven't gotten the pronunciation uh, right, but it translates to plant a seed, right? That's what it it translates to. Right. So she'll tell us the name. Is it Jalopeo? Did I get it right? You're actually right. (laughs) Yay! Oh! (laughs) I... Ever since I started traveling, I've just gotten super, super conscious about my accent and whether or not I'm butchering people's names uh, because of the Jamaican the Jamaican sound. All right, the Jalapeo Foundation, which is a sports for social change initiative that she helped to found. She has attained some amazing awards as such as the PPS Women Woman of the Year Award in 2015. She is a fellow Commonwealth Youth Awardee for Excellence. She received that award in 2016. She has also won uh, the L'Oreal Woman of the Women of Worth Essay uh, Award. So she's an honoree for that special award. Okay, she's amazing, y'all, but I'm going to read everything in her bio because I think that as women, we need to talk about all the things um, that are amazing about us. Uh, Putting her efforts and hard work where her mouth is, she has participated in various leadership programs, such as the Women in Power run by... Uh, BMF and Duke University and Women on Board and the African Change Makers Fellowship, which all have enabled her to serve the youth of South Africa and the world. Ladies, my amazing guest today is my very, very close friend, Cindy Ross. Hi, Cindy. Hi, Sophia. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. And I have to share this backstory about how we know each other. So I met Cindy in 2017. 
at a conference in Jamaica. She traveled all the way from South Africa to be in Jamaica. And we met at a point in my life when I had made a conscious decision to, to just be more and to just pursue opportunities and put myself out there and just kind of show up as a woman. I know I've always, you know, meant to, been meant to be. And she was just the pusher. <laughs> it so happened that we, we were um, joined together throughout the conference. And she has just been one of those people that has been in my ears saying, you can do this, you can do this. And it's made a world of a difference in my life. So thank you for being such an amazing friend, Cindy. And I look forward to sharing your story with my listeners. So you know that I like to start off by asking my guests about their childhood. What was your, your childhood growing up and how did that play into what you're now doing in your life professionally? Okay, so I grew up in, um, I'm Capetonian. Um, so I grew up in a very small town um, outside of Cape Town called Cryfontein. Um, I had a fairly good childhood. It was one of those little, they close to the city, but far enough to be quiet kind of towns. Um, so didn't really grow up. I would be lying if I said I had major challenges growing up, but my dad passed away when we were very young. So grew up with an extremely strong mother and grandma because my grandma used to live with us as well. So I think that just played into the fact that um, anyone who knows me would tell you that I'm extremely strong and whatever mm -hmm. I'm trying to, I go for, but it's because I was raised by two women that really know wasn't in their vocabulary. And I think part of what my mom and grandma taught us is even that if you have a little, um, it's still the way you present yourself to the world mm -hmm. and people receive you, but also the importance of giving back regardless of how much you have that we all have a duty. To, to, to give back and help others grow around you. So I think it's always been inherent because people would always ask me, where does the passion for giving back come from? Mm -hmm. And I grew up in a house where at any given time we would have refugees in the house or mm -hmm. any kind of person that my mom really raised us that what even we didn't have a lot, but that we had to share if someone else was in need. So I think that really made me who I am today because it was really the principles on which I was raised. And like mm -hmm. I said, it, it was a very small town, no airs and flares. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, <laughs> I, had a, I can't complain <laughs> about my childhood. So South Africa has a pretty decent economy, right? But it's also a very traditional society still. What made you feel as though you could go out and become an attorney at law? Like... Why not do become a traditional woman in the sense that, you know, you do things by the book, you know, you get a family, you become a housewife. Why didn't you go that road? Why, why did you feel like, okay, I need to become an attorney? I think that would probably be my grandma because mm. my grandma grew up extremely poor. She had eight kids and... I'm very. I'm always very proud to say that all eight of her children, even though she didn't have money, are educated. Mm. Um, and I think what she raised my mom and us on on the principle that 
I gave you, I gave your parents a step forward in life. They gave you a step forward in life. So you best do better than yes, what we Yes, yes. Um, yeah, and it was kind of one of those things. It wasn't a choice um, mm. <laughs> for us. Um, so it was always driven home very clearly that we had to make a success out of our lives. Um, I think there was a time that I had the bright idea of leaving school early because I had found out there's a way that you can become a chef if you leave school early. <laughs> and I had just wanted out because I wanted money. And I was told very in no uncertain terms by my mom that I'm giving you a month to get out of my house if that's, if, if that's your choice. I didn't raise wow. any <laughs> So I think for me, especially me and my brother, I can't speak for us, it was really not an option because... My mom also always reminded us, my dad passed away very when we were very young, but I think it was a constant reminder that we needed to live a life that he would be proud of as well. Mm-hmm. Why I chose to be an attorney, though, was I had an obsession with law and order when I was small. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. And it really just came from, from TV and more so wanting, I think John Grisham starts off his book. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, they they start off law thinking they can change the world. Mm-hmm. But when you're actually a lawyer, you realize that it's not that simple. And I think that is where my drive in development um, just became a bit bigger. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because then you realize that law could actually be used as a tool for good. And it's, yeah. you know, it's not just about wearing fancy suits and um, wearing high heels and saying objection. <laughs> There's a lot more to it than that. Awesome. On that note of doing the unexpected thing, what has been some of the challenges being a, wo- a woman specifically in the legal fraternity uh, in a traditional society where there are certain expectations of women, what have been some of those challenges for you and what have you been able to do to overcome those challenges? Okay, so like you rightly said, South Africa has a very complicated history and still mm-hmm. I think most people assume because apartheid ended that the complications within SA and the dynamics have changed where yeah. it's so very clear um, lines between between races and I'm mixed um in South Africa I'm called I'm actually termed in my ID um documentation as as a race called colored. So wow so <laughs> I'm not black per se. So I like I think my personal challenges was that you were never white enough for the for apartheid and now mm-hmm. you're not black enough for the new sensation. So you're always kind of in the middle having to fight to be taken seriously. Um, And I think colored community by its very, like our community isn't as a whole taken very seriously because Mm. we, I think people assume because we are friendly, a bunch of people and we like fun (laughs) that Mm -hmm. we have so by its very nature you generally if a conversation about a colored person comes up and would be in the sense that oh so you drink a lot on weekends and those things and my family drinks (laughs) and we're very pro-education so I think it's always been a challenge and still is within in the corporate environment that firstly I'm I'm young I'm black but now I'm not black enough uh, per se I'm a very different um, race so it's constantly I think what my mom just taught me is always work harder so that Mm -hmm. uh, no one has anything to say about you and your abilities and that's really something I've I've always done um, 
if someone else has done something, I'll never not take on a challenge. I think to the extent that my previous CEO one day actually told me if I had to give you CEO today, you'd probably take it because you jump at anything. Mm-hmm. With it. Like I said, it's just something that I've had to just teach myself to ignore the noise around what people's perceptions are and just work hard because I think if you work hard, at some point people give in regardless if they've had incorrect perceptions. Yeah, yeah. It's so weird to me that uh, you're having this experience because uh, I know what you look like, right? And our guests will know what you look like with the, the promo for the the episode. And if you were in America, you would be classified as a dark-skinned woman. And um, the, last night, actually, I was looking at this post from this uh, social on social media and it was a picture where Naomi Campbell took a photo with uh two African women I think they're from Somalia and Mm. you know of course they're significantly darker than her but then you know you're able to see the comparison in in skin tones and then persons who are from Africa they'd say that someone like Naomi Campbell is light-skinned and in my mind I'm like huh (laughs) no way and then if you're in America for example you know whether you're light-skinned or dark-skinned you're still considered to be someone who is black people get into the weeds about things like colorism and so on but it's just amazing to me that you've had that experience as someone who to me just looks like a regular black woman. Like I wouldn't look at you and say, mm, are you mixed? <laughs> I wouldn't be asking you something like that. So it's amazing that you're having that experience. You've had that experience in Africa, which is, <laughs> which is what um, jumps out at me. And it's like this world, there is so much more growing left for us to do. You know, we've taken several steps ahead, but there is so many more. There are so many more steps that are required for us to take. So I'm, I'm glad you shared that. And it's, I think it's going to give a lot of interesting perspective, uh, to, especially to um, people of color in the U.S. that listen to this podcast. All right. So on the, the note of professional journey, you're extremely passionate about young people, as I read in your bio. Uh, as an NGO leader, uh, a lot of my listeners, you know, that's something that they aspire to do. They aspire to give back. And then there are some people who actually work in the NGO space. Uh, what have been some of the unexpected things that came out of that experience for you? You know, starting a foundation, I'm guessing you thought it was all rosy and dancing through the lily fields and then there must have been some unexpected turns so talk to us about that I think I always tell people um the NGO we started um I started it with friends and then my my brother and some of our friends but it started extremely um, organic it wasn't we didn't set out to go and start this organization it really started off with my brother's a mountain biker was mountain biking, these 10 little kids saw them, joined them. I don't cycle at all though. Mm -hmm. And the group of 10, when they remained consistent, the group of 10 became 30. 
And in the city, there was little, um, like five-year-olds. And my brother had just said, look, he doesn't have the patience to ride with them. Can I just take them and start reading with them? And by the end of our first year, we had about 80 kids that started. Wow. The following year, when we opened up, that just doubled and it kept growing. Um, so it was really, we we just did what we thought was best at the time. So like, and someone told us back then that we would be winning awards and we would be, be known for what we were doing or, or anyone would have taken note of us. We would have laughed, um, mm-hmm. all of us, I think. So I think the lesson I learned is, is just start. Um, you don't, I think a lot of people still approach me and say, but how did you get funding? And I, I always remind them funding came three years later. Mm. was our own money and our own time and investment that went in and why it worked was because we were physically on the ground um, dealing with the children it wasn't because we got funding things actually went off when we got funding yeah so I think um, I consistently tell people um, people have an idea that giving back means I must have this big NGO that makes it into the news and the media and giving back is simply mentoring one person um, mm-hmm. and, and, and giving them guidance. It doesn't always have to be this fancy entity because the fancy entity comes with major problems. Um, yes. I've shared with you personally the the, the major, I, I think I've had more problems and knocks in the NGO space than I've had in corporate. Mm. Uh, I've lost more money in the NGO wow. space than I've, okay, I haven't lost money in corporate, but <laughs> <laughs> giving back doesn't necessarily I think a lot of people feel that if you run an organization it's filled with these warm hugs and you feel warm and fuzzy all the time they don't nobody ever tells you that most of the time you're being accused of stealing money even though it's your money Mm -hmm, Um, then you're being threatened by some child's parent because you're trying to guide the child into going to school versus working Mm -hmm. So you're being attacked at every given time Um, and I think the major lesson I learned from um, running the NGO was I gave so much because I cared about what people thought and the perception that I had to look good like and and, uh, and be a good person. And um, when I shouted at the kids, I would be, uh, people would shout at me to say, you're being too harsh. And it was actually my kids that came back and said, whenever you shout at us, we know you're shouting at us because you want us to do better. So we don't mind because we know it comes from love. Mm-hmm. It's when you say nothing that we're concerned. Yeah. And I think the uh, biggest lessons I learned was you don't need anything to start. Um, yeah. If you have any kind of dream, you just need to start. Yes. And it will fix itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, start, pray about it, it will fix itself. And then secondly, I think the biggest lesson I learned was to look after myself. Because mm. in the- I gave so much that I actually burnt out completely. We all need a community of like-minded people who hold space for us to discuss our unique difficulties. Most times, hearing what someone else has overcome pushes us forward and allows for our own transformation. This is why I have created the Driven Woman podcast, Patreon community where you can go and get this kind of support and experience this kind of community so my patreons will have an opportunity to join me over on facebook where i'll be sharing exclusive content you'll be able to share your questions and get feedback from our community 
and patrons will get an opportunity to sort of be like my co-producers by letting me know directly what are some of the themes that you'd like for me to discuss here on the podcast and for my vip members you will get access to a private q a and monthly goal setting sessions that are not done via the internet they'll be done privately on zoom so if this is something that you are interested in and i think you are just go over to www.patreon.com forward slash driven woman podcast so that's www.patreon.com forward slash driven woman podcast and for those of you who would like to simply support the show to help me keep it going uh you have an opportunity as well to be become a patron and make a donation uh, of five dollars per month on patreon so i look forward to seeing those of you who are excited about this opportunity to get access to unique trainings um, private coaching challenges um, and sessions with me and to build a community of like-minded women so i look forward to you join me over patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash driven woman podcast Let's get back to the show. <laughs> um, there was, I don't really share the side of the story, but there was a time I was locked in my house for a month and I'm not even being dramatic when I say that because I was that level of depressed because mm-hmm. everybody was coming at me from different directions. And that just taught me like at my lowest, it was my brother that came. There was very mm-hmm. few people that came and picked me up um, at the time. Um but I think the lesson I was like, you can't, you know, people always say you can't pour from an empty cup. And I was mm-hmm. pouring and the cup was empty and I still continued pouring because nobody knew at the time I was down. Yeah. Um, even for my family, it was very difficult to realize that I was down because I think my brother said the scariest part was that I didn't show it. And that mm-hmm. I was actually down. Yeah. Everybody yeah. thought I was fine. And it was only because I disappeared for that month that people realized, okay, something's not right. Yeah. And, um, and you know, with strong women, that's mostly the case. People always just think you're going to figure it out. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. asking for help, because at the time I had asked for help, people were just like, ah, she'll figure it out because she always figures everything yeah. out. And I didn't know how to figure it out at the time. So I think um lesson I've also learned is to be more supportive and, and listen even when someone is not saying something. Yes. Yes. Through Mm -hmm. my experience and um, through going through all of that and and seeing that, look, it wasn't necessarily because people didn't care about me. It's just they didn't ever see me at a low point. And um, that I could have really done something stupid probably at that time. And my brother and family not realized something was wrong. But it was also for me to be a bit more softer, just as I was, I think, a softer side, but to learn to read other women, because I think a lot of us walk around carrying such a lot of burdens. And generally, if you're strong, nobody wants to help. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've just learned to become more supportive, have a bit more spaces and creating spaces um, for women just to talk. And mm-hmm. I think underappreciate the fact that just going for a cup of coffee can help so much oh yes um yeah but like i said uh, those were probably my key lessons is 
oh, I didn't say the third one was to stay true to who I am. Because mm-hmm. I think in the NGO space, I got such a lot of feedback from outside that I started changing who I was to try and fit in what, what I thought people needed from me or wanted to see. Yeah. And I really changed that stance. Now, if you like me, you like me. If you don't, that's your problem. You mm-hmm. lose. And, and life goes on on my end. Yeah, amazing. I'm so glad that you went into all of that without me having to probe you too much because these are internal battles that a lot of women have, especially women with big dreams. You know, uh, when you want to, to start a foundation, for example, I was explaining to a young lady the other day that an NGO requires the same amount of effort, even more in some instances, that you would put into running an actual company. So yes, there's this big mission that you have, but there's also a lot of organization that needs to go behind it so that it's sustainable. So you can't just treat it as a you know, a project if you want to go that route, which is why I loved when you said that giving back doesn't have to be about starting some fancy foundation. It can just be mentoring one person, maybe volunteering to serve on a board or maybe heading a fundraising committee or something like that. Start small until you're in an actual space to to serve at that higher level. And I loved when he spoke about the fact that you didn't, you had to learn how to ask for help, right? Because there's an art to it, you know, especially if you're a pacemaker, you kind of have to learn how to ask for help and ask in a way where people realize that, look, I'm not just asking for help for the sake of asking for help so that y'all look good. I really am drowning here and I need some support. And, and you had to learn how to do that. So I want to, you know, we're women, we're good friends. And I, I want to, to, there's this thing or this idea that floats around that women can't be supportive of each other. And, you know, I feel like our relationship debunks that sort of narrative. So <laughs> I want you to talk about how you've gone about curating some of the relationships that you have in your life, you know, with other women uh, what have, you know, have you done it, anything intentional or has it just been an organic experience for you when it comes down to building relationships with other women? I think um, nowadays I, I probably didn't do that before, but I pray a lot about the people that come into my life so that God mm, yes. brings the right people into my life. Because you rightly said our relationship grew. <laughs> like I, nobody would have ever told me <laughs> that mm-hmm. I um, people from Jamaica, which is on the other side of the world, yeah. but you guys all became family to me, and I mm-hmm. probably speak more than I speak to a lot of people in South Africa. <laughs> um, and you've been a lot more supportive than a lot of people um, around that are physically around me. So I think um, what I've realized is praying um, for the right people to come into your life, and that the right people are not necessarily right next to you. Mm, because look, you're yeah. a very good example. We, very, we don't see each other often, mm-hmm. but 100% what's happening in each other's lives, we've been supportive to each other. Um, so it doesn't always require physical contact um, mm-hmm. per se. But I, like, I think 2017 was, was a year I met. Uh, it's you and a few other people in Jamaica, mm-hmm. but you 
guys have really become family mm-hmm. and have probably been a large part of why things have started going right because you guys keep reminding me that look um but you 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 going in the right route um where a lot of people i think sometimes close to you especially women i don't know why we tend to do it but we don't want some to see someone else progress if if we're not better if we don't mm-hmm. feel better than them um so i i just think i've been extremely conscious of the type of women but men as well that i allow around me that they need to be people that are okay that if i grow today um they'll they'll be rooting for me as loudly as if they grow tomorrow and i am not doing well that we just remain supportive mm-hmm. and it become a selfish type of relationship that you can only grow if i grow as well yeah. so um my circle is extremely small i think and someone told me this in high school i would have been like <laughs> the nicer the person you are and you actually realize the older you become that your circle just decreases um and i think it was when i left corporate and the fancy job when the friends started falling by the way i realized that i actually didn't need them mm-hmm. <laughs> i am the people that i have in my circle right now um like i said even if they're not close by i've been of so much more support to me than the ones i grew up with at, at in some instances yeah yeah and um i'm so glad you mentioned prayer because spirituality for me is such an important thing um that whatever it looks like for you i think it's it's an imperative part of just being whole as a person and i feel like embracing our spirituality takes us to another level it's like this secret hidden advantage that we have whenever we decide that we're going to align ourselves spiritually so thank you for 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 saying that in particular what i want to say about um you know relationships with with women and how it it gets weird sometimes i feel like we've been sold a scarcity mindset you know people talk about abundance versus scarcity but i feel like as women we have been programmed to be of us to be scarce scarce in our mindset and to feel as though things are limited in supply that opportunities are limited in supply men are limited in supply you know you hear this thing keeps repeating oh no good men you know they're all married etc or you know i you know there can only be one woman at the top we've been sold a scarcity mindset and unfortunately it's 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 been so embedded in our subconscious that some of us can't help ourselves and i think it takes a lot of growth and it takes a lot of self awareness for us to recognize when we're playing into that and hopefully be in a position to guide other women so that they don't fall prey to this scarcity mindset that um you know kind of discourages good relationships between women because look the day when i stopped hanging out with a lot of men and started embracing relationships with other women i'm telling you it was such a game changer for me because the reality is a man is a man yeah. <laughs> as a woman i'm a woman and i cannot expect a man to understand some of the things i go through as as a woman because all throughout high school most of my friends were guys you know i typically be the only girl sometimes and i felt safe in that space and then i realized that no 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 you're actually 
you know, you're not doing yourself any justice and you're kind of just being scared <laughs> to yeah. embrace relationships with other women. So I'm glad you, you, you spoke, about, spoke about that so candidly. So I want to talk to you about self-care. We, we touched on it a little bit with the whole spiritual part, but what are some of the things that you do to take care of yourself? And I'm excited for you to talk about this because I know some of the things that you do. <laughs> How do you feel about self-care? What do you do to prioritize taking care of yourself daily, weekly, monthly? Yes. It's not- Okay. Um, with me, I, like I always tell people, I'm not the best at self-care. I think when I was in corporate, um, it's probably the the part of my life I treated myself the mm-hmm. worst. Because you're mm-hmm. so focused on your goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, you really don't ever take time out to breathe. So yeah. I think part of self-care that I do now is I try at least once a week. There's, some, there's a day that I just do nothing. I'll mm-hmm. be in my house has been Netflixing and even though you know all of these little self-help books tell you yeah tv is tv is bad I take a day because <laughs> that's what I enjoy so I'm not going to make myself feel bad about it because mm-hmm. um, I know not everybody has the finances to go hang out in the spa or whatever mm-hmm. recently um, I've taken up meditation as well so I meditate oh, in, mm. in, in the evening but I think people must understand meditation a lot of mm-hmm. times. It is a form of meditation as well. Because mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. so, I've had a conversation with someone around meditation and she was like, yeah, but it's devil worship. And I'm like, no, it's not. I think oh, it is what it, what it actually is. Um, so I tried yoga. I think my, my schedule at work doesn't always allow me mm-hmm, to go fast. Mm-hmm. But on weekends, I try to go every now and then as well because I think it's just a... Uh, or at least where I go to yoga, we have a very fun group of women, actually. It's just a mm-hmm. <laughs> um, So I found it extremely encouraging. Um, and nowadays, I make a conscious effort to make time with my friends and family, where a large part of when I was in corporate, I think I cut friends and family a lot because I just didn't have time. And when I had downtime, I wanted to be by myself because yeah. I didn't have energy to, to spend on anybody else. So mm-hmm. I make conscious efforts to go out, even if it's just for, for drinks with, with friends, but also focusing on who I, I, I hang mm-hmm. around. Um, because I think I've started taking that, you know, the quote that they say, the five people that you hang out with the most shows and determines mm-hmm. where you can go to in life. Oh, yes. So I've been very conscious about my five people <laughs> and wow. that I had out with because I think the time that I was out of corporate and I was running my NGO and my own business, I realized that if you have people that have limitations on where they're going in life, they kind of drag you down. So mm-hmm. it's not that I wouldn't hang with them, but I limit my time around them. Yeah. Um, because I need people that are going to be encouraging me and rather having discussions on, okay, how do I get around this problem I have at work or wherever versus someone that tells me to go drink it and like, as if that's going to fix everything. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Exactly. So, um, with self-care, like I said, very basic. Most of the time I just take a day out, um, even at work, um, I work under an extremely high pressure environment. Um, so it's a lot of stress and emotions. And I, I take one day minim, a minimum, I work from home as well mm-hmm. so that I'm not around all of and all of the, everyone's emotions because I'm a bit of an empath. So I feel mm-hmm. like other, I absorb other people's emotions and I've had to learn how to just shift it off as well. Yeah. 
and not make it my own. So the one day that I work from home kind of helps. And then there's generally weeks that I can. I try to just have one day that I stay at home and I just do nothing. Yes. Yes. Amazing. Oh, oh, this interview is so good. I do a practice of gratitude journaling. So I will tell myself to write a minimum of 10 things that I'm grateful for. And there was one day this week when I was feeling so exhausted. I was like, I cannot think of anything to be grateful for. Like, I'm like, God, I'm alive. Thank you. That's all I got right now. And then I thought to myself, woman, (laughs) you know you have things to be grateful for. And I opened my journal and I started writing and I filled up almost two pages. And I have to tell you, when I did that, it's almost as though I found this burst of energy to keep going throughout my day because it's, you know, being in that grateful space it made me want to do things that led up to, to that sort of experience. And I felt like, okay, I can't just let this day just waste away. So I am for meditating, you know, allowing your thoughts to just roam freely um, and ponder on the things that come your way throughout that space of being still. Um, yes. Oh, like yes. journaling as well, though. Mm-hmm. I'm just not very consistent with it. Yeah, no, it you actually do. For me, I actually do have to kind of implement a little bit of discipline around it because days, if not days, will go by and I don't write anything. But for me, I enjoy the process of writing. So, I mean, journaling may not be for everyone, but that space where you actually dump your thoughts, it's amazing. And I, I say gratitude journaling because I don't spend my time thinking about all the crazy things that happen in my day. I speak about the things that I'm happy for, that I'm thankful for. And I even, you know, evolve in that journal about why am I so happy and grateful for this experience? Because I don't think your journal should be a space to dump negativity because it's almost as though you're reinforcing it. So I avoid that. I just think on the good things. And if there's there's nothing good, which um, that will never be the case. If something negative happened, I look to see if there is something, a positive perspective that I can put on that thing. So, yeah, you have to be disciplined. Now, why do we have to be disciplined as adults? You know, why, <laughs> why do I have to be disciplined? Why can't things just fall into place? God, why? <laughs> All right, Cindy, so you... You had actually taken a break from corporate to go into the NGO space and then you came back to corporate, you know. You decided that, all right, I need to go back into this space for a while. I think that a lot of people would have felt like a failure or felt some type of shame behind realizing that they may need to go back into corporate um, to kind of help stabilize themselves or to just recover from all the things um, how, how did you feel about that? What did you have to tell yourself so that you could just go back, be, you know, show up as your best self without feeling any kind of shame or feeling as though you were a failure because you decided to go back into the corporate space? I think when I, um, left corporate, I had burnt out. So, um, mm-hmm. I needed the break. Um, mm-hmm. so I, it's a decision still, 
I don't really regret, even though everyone at the time was telling me I was it wasn't the wisest decision because I had been very senior for my age at a at a multinational company, so I was looking after twenty nine countries. But it was really every day I used to cry when I went to work because mm-hmm. on the face of it, if you looked at my profile, it was amazing, but I felt terrible. Mm-hmm. So I think for a year before. Four, it was a year or two before I actually quit my job. It, it The thought was there about just leaving. But when I didn't leave, it was because, you know, society has this picture that money means success. Mm-hmm. And that if you're in corporate, you need to be fighting to be a director. And a but CEO. of course, yes, you yeah. have to be the boss in charge. Exactly. <laughs> Why else do it? <laughs> and there was one day I, um, I reported to two directors and then the CEO of, of, a, of this multinational. And one day I had had a, a fight with my two direct reporting managers. And during this fight, and I think I had, I had realized at the time that everybody else was pushing for me to, to take over. Either, and I, the CEO actually said, you can choose which one's job mm-hmm. you want. <laughs> and in this argument, you know, I just kept quiet. I was so angry and I had just kept quiet. And I had asked myself, who the hell are you? Because mm-hmm. this is not who you want to be. Yeah, yeah. And the very next day, I just quit. I had no plan. At all, <laughs> so, um, wow. as to as to to what I was going to do, I didn't say uh, save up. You know, people will tell you these nice stories that yes, I had three years savings ready. What da 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 da. I had nothing. Mm-hmm. I, I just know, look, this is not the person I want to be. And I could, but I promised myself if there's anything that look, I made a very clear decision. I didn't want to cut off on my lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't want to drop in because I think I've worked hard enough in my life to to afford certain luxuries. And I had just made a commitment to myself, if I see three months before that things would would are starting to go wrong, that I'd rather come back, rebuild and jump again. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah. that's why I didn't feel like a failure when I went back because a lot of people had told me that, look, you won't find anything if you stay out of the corporate space so long. It'll be hard for people to take you seriously once you're out of the system. You know, people have million and 20 stories um to say and with me um i um, i had a a conversation last week with someone that did the same and is in the space where she feels like a failure and i just told her pray about it because i told her when i made the decision when i saw i had a very bad business deal so i lost money so Mm -hmm. by the time i realized i needed to go back i kind of had nothing (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so and one day i just sat and prayed and told god look I always give back. I don't know why you're punishing me. Can you just mm-hmm. stop it now? Yeah. And, now. Yeah. and yeah. I was that direct with God. Two days later, I got the call for the position mm-hmm. I have right now. I walked into an executive position. I yeah. didn't have to go down on anything. And I told her, just pray about it. I prayed and my mother had just told me, pray, you're a Christian, pray and leave it with God. Yes. And within a week, things were back to normal. Look, it's not moonshine and roses where I am, but I didn't have this little fall from grace that everyone seems to Yeah. Is. And I think what I keep telling people is I would rather try and fail than mm-hmm. sit in the office making millions for someone else and never having tried at my own dreams. Mm-hmm. So yeah. even, and I've had a lot of people saying I, I failed because um, even last week I went home and someone looked at me and they're like, yeah, but you had money and things and now you don't. And I Oh like, my God, really? Yeah. And I just looked at the lady and I was like, your point being, at least I'm trying to fight for my goals. Mm-hmm. And my kids. Mm-hmm. I'm not 
behind the desk uh, fighting for someone else's gold. And she just looked at me and she's like, you are right. And I was like, yeah, I, and I'll jump again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think I didn't look at it in, in a way to say, look, going back is a failure because I haven't exactly given up on, I'm still pushing my, my work on the side. Mm-hmm. It's just, I went back, I went back with very clear terms. that Exactly. Look, you had a goal that. in mind and that's what you're working towards. Yeah. And my company knows very well. I'm just mm-hmm. there because paying my bills. It's not <laughs> so Ladies, I, only a, I feel like only a few people could do that. Okay. I'm just saying. Because <laughs> I didn't lie. Um, and I think sometimes we jump so eagerly without making our terms clear and uh, there's a lot of corporate companies that are, that actually appreciate people that push and have hustles on the side because mm-hmm. my previous CEO always used to say he appreciates an entrepreneur more than a normal employee because entrepreneurs mm-hmm. normal mm-hmm. employees just work. Yeah. So, like I said, I was just clear when I went back and I'll jump again in a heartbeat, trust yeah. me. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Oh, amazing. Oh, I'm just, uh, I feel like I'm going to have so many reviews from this episode because you have shared so many important life lessons and so many important nuggets. And I know some of the things that we've discussed, uh, there are issues that a lot of women are battling with. And I feel that your perspective and your lessons are going to to kind of help them make that mental shift that they need to make. So world, you can thank me. I've shared my friend with you. Uh, <laughs> I accept gifts. <laughs> All right, Cindy, my final question to you. What keeps you driven? Um, I actually think it's just, um, I've always wanted to be someone that doesn't just exist in the mm-hmm. world. And I, I, I want to be someone that leaves something more than just being at work. Mm-hmm. Or, um, so I think that is why I feel so strongly about the development work that you do because just going to work, coming back, you're not really making an impact or yeah. not a change for the world. You're making an impact to your bosses, profits um you're not really making it or not all of us have the luxury in corporate to make a difference with the work that we do mm-hmm. so my thing has just always been the spaces that I move in as small as it may be I need to leave an impact whether that impact is making people realize that fairness is important and that's a large part of what my work is about um my professional work I'm in industrial relations and um I work a lot with trade unions so mm-hmm. I'm always of fights between management and their profits and what employees want and and fighting for fairness so it's fairly stressful but mm-hmm. I've also realized that with the job that I have there's a lot of negativity around it but I've been able to help people develop their careers internally or getting them ready to leave the job when when they need to um, to start accepting that growth doesn't always happen where you where you've applied for a job right right. right so I think it's just um what motivates well, what motivates me is just trying to make an impact because I think mm-hmm. any space I've moved in, is, um, it's very rarely someone will turn around and say, "Oh, oh Cindy." Um, generally, you'd know I, I was mm-hmm. around, um, and that's within the corporate space. My previous job, a lot of the policies and things that they implemented after the fact. Um, came of the the tough conversations that I had um, within the organization, people encouraging people to stand up for their rights, all of those things. So mm-hmm. 
that's primarily why, what motivates me is just the fact that I, I, I want to at least have an influence in the spaces that yeah. I can. Yeah. And what I love about you is that um, you've gotten to the stage where you're just unapologetic about who you are and people just get it. You know, the people that uh, I'm guessing the ones who have an issue or contention with that, they're just not around anymore. And it's almost as though you get to be yourself. And I think that's the dream for a lot of us. We just want to be ourselves. You know, um, we want to make the world a better place, but we we want to do it in a way that feels good and in a way where we feel as though we're being true to ourselves. And a lot of what I've gotten from what you said also is that, look, we need to be flexible. You know, you may have this big mission, but you may be able to execute on that mission, but not in the way that you thought, because labor relations is so important. You are, you are getting an opportunity to serve people who, um, you know, their rights and whatever they need are not necessarily top priority. And you are getting an opportunity to be that middle person. So think about the families, the, you know, the other women, the children that you are impacting simply because you are showing up as your true self in your workspace every single day. And, and I just love that. I don't want that to be lost on anybody that you don't need to go and run your own thing. You just need to be the best you that you can be in the space that you are in, because undoubtedly that's going to have a ripple impact um, on the people that you're serving. So, Cindy, this has just been so amazing. I think this has been my longest interview to date. And um, I know people, you know, take notes. <laughs> Probably at the start, I'm going to let people know that, you know, be prepared to take notes and be prepared to, to, to write down some amazing aha moments. So thank you. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. I actually thought you were going to ask about dating. Ah, (laughs) That's for like a part two. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this episode of the Driven Woman podcast. Let's keep the conversation going over Patreon by going to patreon.com forward slash Driven Woman podcast. If you loved this episode, and I know you did, please leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. This allows more people to get access to the show and the quality conversations that we have over here, right? Can you do that? I'm counting on you. And until next time, stay driven, 